Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is Growing Up with Rex Stanford. Rex Stanford was a well-known parapsychologist who died last year. My guest is Rex's identical twin brother, Ray Stanford. Ray has had a career as a psychic and trance channeler. He is the author of books such as Speak, Shining Stranger, The Spirit, Unto the Churches, and The Fatima Prophecy. He has also established a reputation as a UFO researcher and is the author of the book Socorro Saucer. In addition, he has established a career as a paleontologist. Uh, in fact, he's used his intuitive skills to make a long series of amazing discoveries, so much so that the Washington Post Sunday Magazine did a cover story about him, calling him the Amazing Dino Man. Now, if you haven't seen the previous interview with Ray titled, the Blue Apple, I encourage you to view it. And in fact, I'm going to link to it right now in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. If you have the right equipment, you'll be able to link directly to it. I recommend that you watch that video. It'll make this one all the more meaningful. The interview with Ray took place at his home in Maryland, and I can tell you it's the only time I got on an airplane and flew halfway across the country just to conduct a an interview or a series, really, of interviews for New Thinking Aloud. I'm delighted that I did it, and now I'll switch over to the video we made on that occasion. Why don't we start talking about your very earliest memories of Rex. He's already explained it. He's like your other half, you know. Oh, uh, I mean, we we're always there together. And uh, so I'm not sure how separately we thought, although we were always from the start, it was obvious to me that his personality and I were were, were different in almost opposite polar ways. We, we, we it, uh, I don't recall ever much in the way of fights or fusses, I mean, I'm sure we must have had some somewhere along the way, but I guess you repress those kind of things more than the more positive regions of life. And uh, uh, it, uh, it, it, it it's hard to explain it at that age, but even then there was that distinct personality difference in, in which I was interested in uh, things and rocks and things I could analyze uh, that are physical things that I could analyze. And Rex was more, I, I guess, I don't know, an abstract thinker, but uh, early on, I know he became very, very fascinated. Soon, Well, of course, he had been influenced by the fact that my mother talked frequently about how, and she didn't use the word, but psychic, her mother was uh, Cornelia, uh, Neely, as, as people called her, we called her Big Mama, as her grandmother, and uh, she's a really sweet lady, 
but she did she just had showed it all of her life and my mother just took it for granted and Rex I guess took more of an interest in that even the night I knew that I had things happening that must be psychic but as a kid I didn't know a name name for it uh, I mean I just remember early on uh, the first name in science I ever hear Rex was J.B. Ryan even when he was quite pretty pretty young I don't remember how young so um, and yet here I was uh, instead interested in space travel and I started building these rockets of which you saw a couple of little rocket engine nozzles a while ago uh, I mean I I was just oriented toward space. He was in, oriented toward the inner space, and I say I was oriented toward the outer space, uh, the things out there. And of course, the, uh, while at, in 1947, uh, I just grabbed on to the reports that began with Kenneth Arnold, and uh, but Rex never. I mean, he 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 found them interesting. He didn't reject them. He was interested in them. But he never got absorbed and absolutely obsessed with it like I did. And while, while I, you know, dared to go to the principal's wife in the school around and say, when I grow up, I'm going to find out what these flying saucers are. I'm going to tell the whole world. Rex wasn't even on the scene, you know. He didn't, I mean, he, he, he didn't reject my interest at all, but he just didn't seem as interested in these space things as always, uh, internal thought and uh, psychology, and, of course, parapsychology. But Rex did uh, travel with you to Peru back in, uh, it must have been, what, the early 60s or late well, This was 57. 57. January of 1957, right out of high school. We had graduated from high school in 56. Yeah, and it, it was because, if I recall correctly, Williamson? Yes, George Hunt Williamson was doing voice channeling, and uh, claimed to be come from coming data. He didn't talk about, as my readings did when I got into that, the unconscious of Ray Stafford didn't talk about that. It, it always claimed to be external entities of some sort, uh, some of which, of course, I, I think came out of uh, Madame Blavatsky or Theosophy or something. I'm not sure. Uh, there, but, uh, and, uh, but uh, anyway, for some reason, Rex and I both uh, fell for it at, uh, right out of high school. I guess you're looking for some kind of adventure to start with right when you get out of high school. And none of us had immediate plans to go to college. In the first place, we were in kind of tight financial straits because my father had been re-hospitalized because of tuberculosis. And so we didn't think... I don't even know how we got the money to go to Peru. That, that itself was a miracle of some sort. But Rex was there, uh, believing the whole thing. But it, uh, uh, it, it it's, it's hard to explain. In fact, it's hard now for me to imagine that, that he would have been there, that he, that he would not have separated enough uh, uh, intellectually that he wouldn't have accepted that kind of thing as I did we need to go back, I suppose, to the UFO sightings that you both experienced and in the presence of your friends. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the, um, of course, we had this uh, spectacular event, really, of September 18th, 1956, and, uh, and uh, it was out on the, the uh, high desert of California, right in the, uh, within the uh, BB gunshot of, uh, of Giant Rock, Van Tassel's Giant Rock. 
It was on a sunshiny day, September 1856, and uh, I don't recall it. I don't think Van Tassel was around that day. I think he'd gone somewhere. But um, we were there with a friend, Michael J. Rosicki, Jr., and um, we all saw and experienced this rather remarkable thing. We felt, that, and, and Rex was in on this. He fully accepted that we had gotten, or that I had gotten, at least a telepathic message that uh, that we could be contacted, we would encounter uh, a UFO, a alien craft, whatever you want to think of them as being, uh, on the desert that day. And I, I felt kind of led in telling us where to go and so on and so forth. Rex went right along with us, uh, and I'm glad he did because then he, he got to witness and see for himself the reality of this. But even in that little first film, that eight millimeter film, as you saw, there, I mean, we could see through binoculars more than we could with that, that camera, but, and, and we could see clearly a golden crescent shape looking thing, like it was crescent shape, but with a glowing field around it that was pulsing like a jellyfish in water. And so in this film, as you saw in one frame, you can make out the dipolar, uh, uh, let's say donut shaped, uh, visible, uh, for, uh, part of the field that I, I know now was, made visible by plasma interacting in the magnetic field of the craft. And we, we at the time, even felt it was uh, visible evidence of magnetic field. We didn't know the word plasma and so on and so forth. We saw it, and it was very exciting. We talked about how it looked like a jellyfish. It filled it. I mean, you could see it that well, even, you know, right with the, the uh, with our eyes and, and then the binoculars. And, then, and fortunately, the camera recorded it. But I'm so glad that Rex went along because... Then he remained in, in harmony and full acceptance of my uh, bigger involvement with UFOs and instruments to record UFOs while he's dealing with the inner man, the, the, the psychological. It was, it was probably helpful to me that I'm out, the other side of me was out there in the inner, and I, I think that he, in a way, was in a way out into the outer by way of my involvement. So it was a symbiotic relationship, perhaps you can say, we were never at at ends at ends on that at all, and even when we withdrew from this crazy thing of Rick Williamson, as he was called, George Hunt Williamson, Rick Williamson, in this this uh, priori priorio todos de los santos, he called it all saints priori. Well, I didn't knowingly meet any saints there, but uh, but it was you know it was it was in the uh, the boondocks east of the Rio Mayo. Outside of a little town, they didn't even have, you know, electricity or water. And back in those days, why they chose that location, I don't know. But um, uh, uh, it, it may have been a stupid choice, except it was a good choice for me because I got to see along, I think, with Rex uh, and definitely uh, at least one other person on the patio that day, as I've said, a spectacular black dome disc with red glowing, we now know, plasma swirling. Uh, if you're looking up at it this way, it's, it's running... Uh, uh, clockwise. Now, now to be clear, that observation was in Peru. Is that right? That was in Peru, in Moyabamba, east of the Rio Mayo, in the state of San Martin. And at the time, I said it was, it was hardly even a town. The map it was so small. Yet, by an unpaved, they had an unpaved runway that DC threes could take you into and, and out of. And that's that's how we got in, and that's how we eventually got out. Was uh, that way? But it was even an unpaved. Is I, I'm pretty certain. And it was even just a dirt runway. Imagine a DC three in the desert going and and, and going to some kooky community. Uh, <laughs> but we were open to 
sorry stuff. It's just we hadn't had enough experience to learn to discern what was real and what was part of the fantasy of the subconscious. Let's go back now to the sighting at Giant Rock. Okay. Uh, you had some sort of an impression in advance of that sighting that if you go there, you will see something. That's right. Absolutely. Well, we, we really believed that. How did it come to you? It's hard to say. Uh, a knowing is hard to say. It's just an, a knowing. And you, you feel my interpretation, at least at the time, was that it was directed, that it was coming from alien beings. I didn't feel I knew them personally, but I felt they were telling me, you know, we will, we will meet you. We'll, we'll give you a show out there, so to speak. And, and if I understand correctly, you traveled from Texas to California. Well, yes, of course, we, we lived in, we lived in Texas, but we went out to California. And for that time, we were living in, in Los Angeles. We got a little apartment there and, and, uh, I don't remember anything about how we even financed that since we didn't have jobs. Uh, we were just out of high school. Well, my name, well, were we out of high school? Let's see, September 1856. Okay, I guess that's the September right after we graduated in May, I suppose, from right. W.B. Ray High School in Corpus Christi. And were there any sightings prior to the one in Giant Rock? I, I think I think there there were, uh-huh. but of course that one stands out so much. You know, we got a, a film and the nice visible uh, magnetic field that keeps that high in your memory, and also, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's like, uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't remember what, what we may have seen before. I'm sure there were some things, but maybe they were at night, but it's a broad daylight, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and we're getting a film of it, and there are three of us there seeing it. We know we're not hallucinating, and the camera didn't hallucinate, and, uh, it was, let's, let's say it was, in a way, in a sense, to really getting us into ufology, it, 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 it was there, uh, it was the, uh, uh, the break in our virginity of, 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 of any skepticism whatsoever. When you, when we saw that, I mean, I was, I wasn't skeptical. We were responding to this and Rex accepted that Ray is getting these messages. In fact, he too felt that he could feel these messages too, but he just didn't seem to feel them as graphically as I did. But from a parapsychological point of view, receiving the message, traveling hundreds of miles, and then going to the location where you saw the UFO is pretty clearly a sigh event. Well, I'm not sure that it was that message that brought us to California. It may have been George Adamski, not as a person, a personal effort, but because we believed George Adamski at that stage. Uh, we even have stupidly in our little book, Look Up, this first book we came on, you have a, we even have a drawing of his so-called Venusian spacecraft, which was nothing but a, a, a small man-made object, about so big apparently. And, uh, but that drove us out there. But while we were out there, I think was when I received this strong impression. And interesting enough, I did not conceptualize it or feel it in the context of what Damsky, Damsky, had described in flying saucers who landed or later inside the spaceships. It was more that it was alien beings, but it, it wasn't in a sense like, hey, we're Adamski's buddies, we'll meet you on the day. It wasn't that. It, it, it felt somehow independent. I can't explain it. Or I don't know if I'd even said it that way at, this, at that time, but it just felt like it was alien beings that somehow I had a, an inner kinship with. 
uh, like they they knew me to some extent, and that I knew them. That's hard to explain. I'm not. I wouldn't take it any further than that because I don't know that there is any further than that. But I I do believe that whoever these occupants are, that they are better at reading our minds than we are at reading theirs. So let me be, try to be as clear as I can, that before you even saw the UFO at Giant Rock, before you even felt you had an intuition to go there for the purpose of seeing a UFO, you were already interested in the writings of Georgia Damson. Oh, yes, yes, uh, absolutely. You and Rex both. Yes. I'd have to check the dates, but there was also a man named Truman Bethram uh-huh. that... Um, that I never, I can't recall that I ever decided that he was a hoax. I wouldn't say today to say that he was genuine, but I'd need to reread the book and think it over and see about my feelings about it today. And uh, and uh, I, I know that Rex had, had read Adamski stuff, but I don't know if he ever read Truman Bethlehem or some some of the other materials. People, uh, of course, there was there there was Van, George Van Tassel, as we said, but so far as I know. I don't. I don't recall. Uh, it, it seemed to have been a, more of a psychic thing, and I don't recall he never claimed to have taken any photographs at all, and uh, and Bethram never claimed to have taken any photographs. But uh, at the time, I definitely believed in in Truman Bethram, and and uh, I, I think Rex probably kind of ex- accepted it, but never, never ate it with a spoon like I did. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I really the idea that you, that the a real spaceship. Could come down, and and something might be thinking about you and respond to your thoughts and and do some, or maybe even come out and communicate with you. Uh, yes, Rex accepted that, but it, it wasn't as dear to his heart as as mine was. He he was, and I like I said, we were kind of opposites, uh, and uh, I was the more experiential, and he was more uh, interior, I guess you could say. And yet, it was I who interiorly felt these messages more deeply, I think, than Rex did. But he did definitely acknowledge. He said, uh, oh, oh, yes, Ray, I, I can feel it. It, 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 it. We've got to go out. They're going to be out there. I remember him saying that. At this point in time, I think it's fair to say both you and Rex would agree that Adamski was, if not 100%, was largely a fraud. Uh, I would say 110% fraud. Oh, uh, I mean, that sounds funny. But absolutely, every photograph he ever t- claimed to have taken, as far as I know, was fake. And uh, and I think I have pretty good evidence and things I saw even in his own studio. So, so what I find intriguing here is the possibility that th- this fraud wrote uh, these books with such uh, literary capacity that it stimulated your young minds to have what appears to have been an authentic, uh, precognitive experience. I don't. I wouldn't attribute that to Adamski because of my intense interest in the field from 1947 on. As a nine-year-old, it's just that Adamski was the first one to come up with alleged photographs and say I actually met him. That's what grabbed me. Even though I later, of course, have completely rejected it. Uh, it, it, it was that idea that you could get that close, that intimately involved with aliens, yeah. that that grabbed me because I knew. As I said, uh, even well before I ever went to California, I mean, I was building those rockets, and some of them were pretty good size. And I mean, I was so much into space travel and wanting to be involved. I was going to become a rocket engineer, but then once I had enough experiences and uh, 
Uh, and Rex went right along. I mean, he understood my uh, that once he had seen these things, I mean, when you see something like that and you actually see this field moving like a jellyfish around this thing, uh, I'm sure it affected Rex as, as much as I did. Uh, but it, it just turned me on like you like plugged me in. But I know for sure that was one that, that Rex was there and with me from the time we before we left Los Angeles. He already was filled with it and felt, indeed, that if we went out there, and we had the confidence to invite our friend Michael Ropesicki, who was there and saw it, and saw it all. So I'm glad to say that, in other words, Rex and I, Never parted ways on this thing of the UFOs. He always accepted my, my UFO work and because the things he had seen and even after he was out of the scene and in, off into college and I'm encountering these things and, and then me f- f- filming these things with good witnesses, uh, th- he was thrilled with this. This, this was just fine, but it, it never distracted him from his parapsychological, which was very important because I think he made I mean, in his psi-mediated instrumental response, or PMS, PMIR, as we always called it, uh, I think he made a major contribution that people still need to think a lot more about what he said and was finding about how this works from inside of us. I mean, I've I've experienced PMIR for years, and it, 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 it I mean, it's just as natural as breathing. Almost, and it, it, and I think it, and Rex experienced PMR too at times, but not as knowingly as I did. Always, my unconscious seemed to be closer to the surface, although Rex was had his conscious into that in analyzing that. I had that helping me analyze these external things. Uh, sometimes uh, you can get, I think, too intuitive in trying to do your scientific research. I think we need to to keep a good balance, and I think my relationship with Rex. Helped me keep that balance. I think we kept each other in balance. It kept him open to some things that otherwise, in his distraction to the interior, he might forget that something incredible is happening out there. So we we were a good balance all the way along. I think uh, you've described Rex as being more introverted, and you were more extroverted. That's right. Even as children, it's it's an accurate description. Very much so. Uh, I mean, I was I was doing a lot more. You know, dating girls and so on and so on. Rex was more interior. I mean, I don't recall. I, I mean, he may have da- dated a few times, but I don't recall him ever getting any, involved with anybody until he, he met uh, the girl from Sweden who had read uh, our book uh, uh, over there. And uh, uh, Birgit Olsen was her name. Her maiden name was, uh, uh, was Odin Olsen. And she came over and married him. And... Uh, I just wasn't compatible with her. I mean, she wasn't my cup of tea, but she was Rex's cup of tea. And the friends who know Rex quite well, uh, like one in New York I'm thinking about, uh, really feel that she was a tremendous boon to him. Uh, and uh, But we, our personalities were so different. My, I just, I had more experience with women, but, uh, uh, and yet, I mean, we were. It's, it's weird to say he was like my other half, and I think he regarded me as, is his other half, in a sense. It's 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 a, it's a strange thing, uh, to to have a, another half, but after all, we split from. I mean, uh, according to anyway, according to the doctor, my mother had gotten high blood pressure. We had to be delivered uh, quite a bit prematurely, but uh, 
he indicated, I guess, whatever it means, we came from the same placenta or, or whatever. He, he was sure we were identical twins, and I am too, yeah. because of our mental relationship. Well, there's been quite a bit of uh, work published about telepathy between identical twins. Yes. One twin would always know if anything happened to the other twin. Yes, but I think we had a lot of that going on, mm-hmm. on too. I think he at times even you knew things going on with me, but not as knowingly as I would feel with him. I was more conscious with telepathy, but he was definitely uh, into it. And, and yeah, that, that was, there, there was definitely a lot of telepathic interplay uh, between us, even, even when he's off in college and I'm wherever I was. Now, at some point after you had uh, rejected uh, the UFO contactee movement that you and Rex were both intrigued by, uh, you set up the Association for the Understanding of Man, and Rex had some involvement there. I know uh, on your you published a journal, and it, one of the covers shows a picture of Rex standing alongside some uh, looked like EEG recording uh, instrumentation. Yes, well, yes, uh, he was not uh, a part of the Associated Management in the sense of it was formed around and centered upon my psychic work, my so-called readings and so on. And uh, but because he was into psi and and scientifically, and we we wanted to try to take a scientific attitude, even though we were promoting and publishing things that came out of my unconscious, and I, I think there was. A lot of good stuff, and my wife today they will swear that there was, but uh, uh, but there was. Uh, I think there was subjectivity too and belief in some of these things for a while, and then gradually I realized that so much of this that we might think was the the uh, uh, the work of external was not, and yet when things happen like the blue apple story, which I've told yes. to you, uh, I mean there certainly appeared to be an independent existence there but it, it didn't uh, give uh, 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 Carlos Merida a name when it came into his studio and told him how to, to change the study for a painting and call it the Blue Apple uh, but uh, anyway the thing was in the association uh, we deeply appreciated the parapsychological and wanted to show the scientific side of it and so on as well as our maybe more subjective side uh, and uh, you know, let's say our side was impressionistic and his was more realistic art, so to speak, when we're dealing with this. But uh, we, we, we were always harmoniously cooperative. So I, I don't think he was ever on the board. He was certainly never on the employ of the Association for the Understanding of Men. But there was a strong respect. And I think he respected my work, even though I, 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 I feel confident that at least by the end of the 70s that, that he was probably more skeptical than I was at that time of the idea that any independent beings could speak through me. That I, I, he under, I think he understood it more as my unconscious. At one point, isn't it the case that maybe before Rex had a university position that he was actually working out of uh, one of your offices? Uh, yeah, I think maybe he did for a while. Uh-huh. Yes, and and uh, and, and we, we, we financed him, but he was doing parapsychological research. He, he was never intimately involved with anything about the readings or the alleged beings that at the times were supposedly speaking to me as well as my unconscious. Uh, I mean, he didn't reject it. 
Let me ask another question. To go back to the book you and Rex co-authored, look up, there were multiple UFO sightings right. reported in that book, not just the sighting at Giant Rock. Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, um, the uh, Of course, reported there was even the one on Padre Allen, which uh, it turns out I was shocked to see at the list of witnesses that we had out there. We had quite a few group from Brownsville that were out there with us, too. And we, we were... Um, it, it, that wasn't the kind of thing, if I remember correctly, that that I that any of us felt we had a telepathic message. But we wanted to go out on South Padre Island, which would be very dark, no artificial lighting at that time on the South Padre Island, at least where we where we went. And uh, I mean, the far south end, yes, there, there I'm sure there was, sure there was. But you know, we went out to try to look uh, for things, and whether we tried to send a pathic signal, telepathy, I don't even recall that. We were just I could be wrong, but uh, there were quite a few of us. And we're watching the skies. I mean, we uh, we we got in a little. Uh, we 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 did something we we probably shouldn't have. Uh, but uh, we some fishermen just came in and decided to do some surf fishing there that night, uh, just north of us. They pulled up. Well, we feel there's too many people out there. We didn't know if they had guns or not. Most fishermen don't carry guns. They carry a rod and reel, but. Uh, we felt that it might be, it might discourage UFOs from coming around, or at least if they wanted to have any interaction with us, it might discourage that. So we went up to them, and what we said is, uh, I, I said, or John said, I don't, John McCoy, um, uh, we're out here conducting some experiments, and uh, uh, there's some aspect of it that might be dangerous. Well, of course, if, if, if an alien spaceship coming down, that might be dangerous. <laughs> and uh, so we weren't too far from the truth, but maybe far from it another way. But uh, we wanted to scare them out of there. So we said, look, it'd be better if you'd move at a safe distance because uh, it, it, it just might, or it might in some way affect our experiments, but uh, uh, it might be dangerous. So they left. But where they went, they headed to South Padre Island and called the police. They decided we might be doing something quite illegal and dangerous out there. Yeah. And uh, uh, so not too long after that, uh, here came a state patrol car up with uh, uh, patrolman, state state patrolman uh, uh, Don Hoyt, I believe was his name. And uh, and there was a deputy sheriff, uh, Steve Woods. And uh, was there one other? I don't remember. There, uh, I, I've forgotten the affidavit is in the, the book, uh, signed affidavit. What we did, and, and, and anyway, by the time they, they arrived, they pulled up and here's this object hovering up there over the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, we said, what, what are you boys doing out here this time of night? We had no rod and reel with us, so they knew we weren't fishermen. And, uh, I said, well, we, we came out to, to see if we could see and maybe even make contact with flying saucers. And in fact, we, 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 we have one. That, look out, look out the window, look up out there. And, and the officer got out of the car and the deputy, uh, deputy sheriff, whatever he was, uh, uh, got out of the car and he said, what is that? And I said, I told you, uh, that, that, that is, we believe, an alien spaceship. It's certainly, uh, not ours. And, uh, and, he began to. I, you'd have to read the, the book and see what happened. I don't remember all the yeah. details of what happened, but they, 
they finally began to get nervous and uh, and uh, and said, "We have, we have to get out of here." They they decided to get out. And I, at that point, I think I may have said, "Would you be willing, possibly, to sign an affidavit to what you've seen?" And and uh, they said, well, "We'll think about it. We'll consider." I think maybe maybe one of them said they, they would, but eventually. So we came back into town later after the event. There were um, uh, three officers that that, uh, that showed up in response to the call from the fishermen, the, the concerned fishermen. And uh, uh, it, the, driving the car was uh, Texas State Highway Patrolman um, Don, Don Hoyd and his his son, Ray, Ray Hoyd. And so it was Don Hoyd and Ray Hoyd. Don was the State Highway Patrolman, and Ray Hoyd was the deputy sheriff. And uh, then there with them in the car was uh, uh, was Steve Steve Woods. He was I think he was an undersheriff or something like that. I forget what he was called, but he was there. And so uh, finally, when we got together and, and called them, when we went back to to Brownsville some days later, um, it was very nice of them. Now Don Hoyd, the state representative, said he didn't want to sign an affidavit. Uh, uh, that uh, he didn't consider that was official business that night, but he didn't feel it was good to, for him to sign a, an affidavit. But he'd be happy to to pose in a photograph with with his uh, son or father, whichever it was, uh, Ray Hoyt, who was a deputy sheriff, who was willing to sign an affidavit. And uh, so Ray Hoyt, the deputy sheriff, and Steve Woods, the uh, under sheriff or whatever he was, uh, also signed an affidavit. But the policeman in uniform let us photograph him. Uh, as we we showed in the book, so they were very cooperative. I understood his position. Uh, it might be back in those days. After all, Texas is bad enough today. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of ashamed to admit I'm from there. The way some things are going down there, but uh, uh, but actually, uh, it was it was really. Uh, I, I think it was very considerate him to to, to pose in the photograph, and there were them to do the affidavits. I mean, these affidavits go into some detail. About what happened, and so on and so forth, and uh, they're all notarized and have the official seal of the notary public that that did this. So it was quite a coup for ufology. This was kind of a kind of a first, and we considered it a contact. It certainly wasn't a physical contact, but that we kind of felt like we had possibly attracted them out there. I'm not sure that we had. Maybe it was a coincidence, but it, it was a weird coincidence, if that's the case. And little did I dream that it would. Someday feel come on the on the front full color illustration on the front of a magazine called Fate Magazine, mm -hmm. which was a good sized magazine. I mean, it had a, quite a circulation uh, and the newsstands and and uh, and to subscribers and uh, and to this day I have a big enlargement of the whole cover of the magazine uh, up there that I saw shockingly about uh, twenty five years ago or thirty years ago. I saw it advertised and bought it right away because I was shocked that. Here was a, a poster being sold all these years later of this experience we had on Padre Island way back in in the fifties. So that was that was what happened, and uh, it may may have been a psi mediated instrumental response of some sort, maybe on the part of the if the you know if you consider this was an alien craft and they they came in response. I don't know why else they would show up out there. I mean, uh, it certainly wasn't anything else interesting out there going on that island that night in, in the middle of the night of a dark November night. Well, uh, to jump around a little, you and Ray, while in high school, both competed in a science competition for the state of Texas. Right. 
he, I gather, uh, presented something about parapsychology. I think he did. I don't know, I don't recall what paper he presented, but that, that was, uh, there were several divisions of the state. And, um, of course, I was in the physical science because I was into rockets. And I, my paper was called Experiments with the Multiple Stage Principles of Rocketry. Rex was, of course, in the, another side entirely, like we're opposite sides of the brain, so to speak. And he, he was in, I guess, the psychological sciences side. And I suspect he did, I don't know what else he would have spoken, unless it was a parapsychology. I'm pretty sure it was. And, uh, uh, I'm not putting him down, but he, he didn't, didn't win a prize for his, but that's not a, to be, uh, unexpected because, I mean, after all, he was a, a pioneer and, uh, showing up in a high school te- in Texas talking about parapsychology. I mean, it was, it, he is, it's commendable that he was just daring to be there and give a talk on that subject. It showed that he was, had the conviction of his research. Mm-hmm. So it's great to his credit, even though they weren't in a position to cognitively appreciate, I don't think, the depth of, of, of Rex's uh, approach to this, which was very good. But in my field, uh, I, I got the top award in the physical sciences over the, all the high schools in the state of Texas, the ones that, I mean, just, well, the high schools that, that involve competition in, in, the, in the Texas, Texas, it's called the Texas Junior Academy of Science because it was, after all, high school. It wasn't professional science. But anyway, I got the first place, and you've seen the little gold Texas symbol that they gave me a pin to pin on. But I was very, very proud of that. That that meant a lot to me. I'd put a lot of effort into my rockets, and I still don't know how I ever raised the money to build those rockets. <laughs> it's weird. I've, I've had a tendency to raise money for projects uh, uh, over the years, but it I don't I don't know that I, I, maybe I'm a good fundraiser at some some level. But I can't even remember how. Maybe it was psi-mediated instrumental well, right. responses. It probably was. You met the right people at the right I time. I wouldn't be surprised at all. It was quite, of course, my side of it was a totally different experience than, than Rex. I mean, we're out there launching these rockets, which were so big. I mean, they could, I mean, we, we had to get clearance through the U.S. Navy to make sure there would be no, no planes flying through those areas at that time. And, uh, and clearance with the state police, make sure that they knew that we're going to be out there, and so on, and and launching these things. He's uh, totally different from the kind of interior things that that Rex is doing. In fact, I don't think Rex ever went out to the island with us. Uh, I don't think it was fear. I just don't think he was that interested in in the rockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was in the the interior yeah. kind of thing. And I think he did a remarkable. I mean, still to this day, I think his PMIR psychometric instrumental response. Uh, uh, hypothesis was one of the most positive things that I've ever seen done in parapsychology because I feel, I mean, I had felt it working for years, but we consciously, I mean, at least people in my family, I think we were a lot of us and a lot of people are responding to unconscious sigh in, in doing, stopping where we stop and, uh, are, are doing what we do or showing with the right place to see that UFO or to find that dinosaur track. Uh, and uh, I, I credit Rex with uh, uh, his work to also giving me the courage to realize and think about intellectually what was happening when I was getting these interior urges. And uh, I think it's really to his, his, his credit. I'm proud that. 
Well, it's interesting that your paths really diverged when it came to going to college. He went and pursued a doctoral degree, and you really had a little college. I don't right. know. Right. No, I never got a degree. You never got a degree at all. No letters behind my name whatsoever. <laughs> Although I have, you know, uh, several species of dinosaur attraction, a new species of dinosaur in the Smithsonian, and. Uh, and uh, this major, major discovery described as world class uh, at the at the at the Goddard Space Flight Center. Uh, the thing people need to understand: you can do science without having three initials behind your name. Uh, and and I'm 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 proud to say I'm the living proof of it. And these these I mean these are not these are scientific papers in major scientific journals that presented these things. I mean it takes quite a bit. I mean to describe. A, a new species of dinosaur based on what you find of the the, uh, the natural casts and molds of the skeleton. This is the first dinosaur that had been officially recognized that that it was based not on the bones but the natural casts and molds of the bones. We live in a high acid, high acid environment around here, this coastal here, and it disintegrated the bones, but they infilled and they got the natural cast and and we, I mean, I found this and and pointed out the areas. And described them in the scientific paper and showed that it was, in fact, an, a, the only hatchling notosaur that, so far as I know, has ever been found in the entire world. And the only, certainly the only hatchling dinosaur of any kind ever found in the eastern United States. And this paper, if I recall, was published in Nature. No, this, this particular paper on the dinosaur was published in the, the Journal of, uh, of, uh, uh, pa- Paleontology. Okay. And, uh, uh, the, the, the one that was published in, in Nature's, uh, uh, scientific, uh, research was, uh, is the one about the big Goddard find, which is a slab eight and a half feet long with incredible number of animal types having left their footprints, uh, calling card there. Well, I'm sure there are many paleontologists and other scientists who would love to have been published in Nature and never have been. Well, for 10 years, they had an actual, Big, beautiful display with it, explaining it and the thing with my picture and other thing beside it. Well, at some point, I'm imagining watching your identical twin brother go get a doctoral degree. It might have occurred to you to do the same. Well, not in not in paleontology. It didn't at all. It it uh, uh, if it would have been in it, it would have been in in engineering and uh, in physics and toward aimed toward plasma physics and things of that nature. But I got so involved. Well, the first place I got so much in, in my psychic work, and you know, in the in the seventies, mm-hmm. and then when I began to, when we began to get the good cameras, magnetometer, gravimeter, spectrographic cameras, and so on, so, and we do have spectra also that we got of, of UFOs. But this, as as I begin to get this, I mean, you get you get so many of these events. And maybe a lot of them will occur of PMR. In fact, maybe it might not have been there if it hadn't been for PMR. But uh, when you when you get this, you begin to 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 realize that uh, I mean you're you're finding things, you're contributing to knowledge, and and that that you don't need a PhD. Not only that, but I mean I begin to work when I begin to find these tracks with Dr. Martin Lockley, the University of Colorado, one of the top track people in the world and he was just thrilled with what of course but your first passion was uh, ufology i gather 
I mean, you did the that's right uh, book on Socorro. That was nineteen sixty four. And the sighting was in 64, yeah. And you were on the site. You were one of the very first Yes, that's right, yeah. I, it, uh, uh, on the site. Just, just a few days after, as soon as I could get there from Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jim and Carl Lorenzen beat me there. They, they they were there a day or two before. But uh, uh, I've showed you pictures of what I think is evidence. You haven't yet had a chance to look at the rocks, but what I think maybe melt. But uh, uh, they... Um, they fortunately took the brunt of it in the sense that, that Carl found a uh, a uh, a section of, of of soil that apparently was vitrified, turned to glass, mm-hmm. fused together, uh, at least roughly on the top, and she took it home to Tucson, where their their headquarters, where they lived, and where their aerial phenomena research organization was, and the government came in and told him, "You can't have this, you have to give this to us." And she, she got scared out. I guess she was a tough lady. I mean, she was a simple lady, and and uh, I'm sure she told them off, but they took it. They got it. Well, um, is is it fair to mention that to this very day you have artifacts that you've collected at that site? Oh yes, yes, sure, sure. I mean, I I have. The, the thing is, I haven't found what laboratory to. To look, for example, these burned papers that have some interesting patterns in them that you've seen, but I'm more interested in the rocks uh, that uh, that I have. That and, and I'm experienced at looking at rocks. Some people say I have them in my head too, but uh, but I I hard-headedly look at rocks with great scrutiny, and I've seen all kinds of rocks. I, it's not just tracks. I mean. I've been fascinated by rocks and minerals ever since I picked up the rocks at before nine years age of the railroad track and used to ask my mother, Mama, how, how did this rock form? It's so strange. Only one she could identify was petrified wood, of course. But she didn't have a background. But I'm used to looking at rocks. And uh, these things that I've found now is it, strange. I get uh, certain people, I'm not going to name a name, but certain people come and contact me and I show them all of this stuff and let them have pictures and so on and so on and tell them about this. But not a one of them has made an effort to get a laboratory, a credible laboratory, that is that that admits they would be willing to admit if it turns out to be exotic evidence of a propulsion of what I'm looking for here in the, the in both the, the the burned papers and in the, the rock is the question: Is there evidence? Of extraterrestrial technology, or of this engine, this odd uh, taking, take, uh, uh, landing and takeoff engine that that blew Zamora's mind because he'd been out of White Sand and watched rockets, and he knew that the rocket exhaust bounces off the ground or whatever it hits. But he saw this thing turn on with a kind of roar of a rocket, but it went right into the ground. Mm-hmm. And one of these rocks that I showed you, it looks like it has a an interesting superficial glaze that places on it of green. Uh, this thing was right under where the thing played, except it was about three inches under. But keep and remember, remember that he saw the beam go right into the ground. These, these, this was not gas. This was not a rocket exhaust as we know it. This had to be, pardon the physics, but subatomic particles accelerated to relativistic velocities. That means accelerated to near the speed of light and penetrating the ground as subatomic particles. Gross matter whole atoms, molecules of exhaust would have bounced right off in Zamora's face. And But, I mean, that's the thing, uh, that's the one thing I heard aside from just describing seeing these beings is his amazement 
that why didn't it bounce off the ground at him or in any way? It, it just went in. That bothered Zamor. He realized that was the evidence of some really exotic propulsion. And it, it, it may well be if it's true that, uh, that, uh, uh, that officer, uh, was it Sam Chavez? Anyway, one of the police officers there, his photographs taken immediately after, with, within the hour of the takeoff, uh, were reportedly fogged, and the government told him this had to be covered up, that this could not be told. And I have some, some documentation that, 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 that shows that that happened, and it, it did happen. Now, whether it was actually caused by this radiation, I don't know, but that is radiation. When you have subatomic particles, traveling at relativistic velocities penetrating right on the ground you're going to it's, it is a type of radiation but it's also going to create probably secondary radiation as well uh, even if it was secondary radiation that fogged that film but I'm proud to have these things it's just, I just wish now I've been so busy with my paleontological things uh, and, and as you know the press coverage has been incredible on this and wonderful and nice but I, I want to find a lab that uh, and, and 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 it could be a lab that, that that studies meteorites with instruments, but that is willing to to be to say, wait, we have found that this evidence that Ray has uh, that this rock was melted. If it if it if it shows that kind of evidence, and there may even be some odd isotopes formed by this uh, this interaction. We don't know, but we need to look. But I've got to find labs, and that means human beings running labs that are willing. To do this, it shouldn't be as nearly dangerous to your career as it would have been years ago. And well, the fact that you haven't yet, 58 years later, found a lab that you could trust to analyze this material explains why you couldn't have possibly gone to a graduate school or even an undergraduate school anywhere to study ufology. No, you can't. Nobody knew anything. They hadn't studied enough. You couldn't get a, a ballot. You had, you, you might get a course in how we need to approach the study, but you sure wouldn't get a course in, 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 in evidence based on it because the evidence that has been made available, the government has the, has evidence. But as far as John Q. Public, no, there's absolutely, there's, there's very little. The, the work that I have done with what I have done with the films and the electronic recordings of Magnetometer and Gravity are beyond anything else that anybody in the public I don't care how much money they had, has been able to do. Uh, but it's nothing compared to what the government ha- has and knows. And yet they were desperate to take, uh, uh, for example, the space material that fell in San Antonio that we've talked about, yeah. uh, that was, that was not a meteorite, but was of technological origin. I've told you how desperately break-ins into the poor guy's house after he wouldn't give it to the government mm-hmm. and the other things that happened. Uh, so, but there, there's, when you get to these labs, a lot of them, probably their financing, if they go to analyze meteorites, may be paid for by the government. Well, in fact, as I recall, Ray, you did collect samples uh, uh, that you did turn over to NICAP, the organization. Oh, yes, the metal. Affiliated with. And uh, never got returned to you. Uh, I believe that is correct. The point I do think is important to emphasize, since we're talking about your deceased twin brother, is is that while he's 
getting his doctoral degree and then later became a professor and an emeritus professor in psychology at St. John's University. Throughout all of that, he always respected the scientific work you were doing in the UFO field. Oh yes, he was very thrilled every time I get occasion to say, look, Rex, I've got, I've got something I've never gotten before. And, uh, uh, and as you know, I've gotten some pretty remarkable and, and, and detailed things, and he, he accepted it all. Uh, it it uh, he, to his credit, didn't let it sidetrack him out of his parapsychological research because he knew he was well anchored there and, and was contributing a lot, even as I was in in my field. So we respected our fields, and he rejoiced in my finds uh, a lot. I mean, he really appreciated the fact that that I, that what I was finding. It's just that he couldn't let himself get too distracted where he got sucked into doing this instead of what he's doing. That's to his credit. After all, I regard it as identical twins. I mean, we were like opposite sides of the brain. One side does his job, one side does the other uh, job. And I think there was a symbiotic, helpful inner inner relationship between us that I think I think we helped each other in some respects in the positions we took and what we were doing. So different and yet related. Well, it's interesting because in a way, you were more into the hard sciences than he was, but you were also more into the esoteric and intuitive fields than he was. That's right. It, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to understand. And, uh, uh, of course, speaking from Rex's standpoint, I mean, I, as he would, if he were living today, I mean, I mean, he would reject the idea, I think, that, that individual entities Names were given in some of these who were supposedly speaking to me in this unconscious state. Uh, he and I would concur that these names were probably derived out of things we had read or something in metaphysical literature or in, in theosophy or, or somewhere. And, uh, but that, uh, and yet we saw, I mean, there are people whose lives were saved by medical readings from me. And, uh, I was looking at my apologies the other day to, Someone who wrote me, thanking me after all these years again for the fact that it, his mother's life was saved by reading. And there was also a lot of other remarkable things that were uncovered and, 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 and proven to be objective and real. And yet, when we look at those names and individuals, Kuhumi and, uh, Hilarion. Hilarion and some of these other names. I mean, the, these, I think, were fictions of my unconscious. I'm pretty sure that they were. But I don't, I'm not ashamed that there was still some good guidance, some insight given in these discourses, even though mass, you know, maybe my unconscious realized it would get the attention of the people and they'd pay more attention more if somebody of authority, like some great spiritual name. But at one point, it's fair to say you had a very large following for this type of channeling. Yes, that is correct. And there's still a lot of people that, that say they're really inspired. I mean, there are all these, these readings that I don't even, these books, I mean, uh, that that are based on the readings. That if she were in here, she could tell you the name of the books, and she could tell you some of the things. But uh, it, it it just uh, and and I think if there are people that are inspired by this, and it helps them live better lives, and uh, be more attuned with the universe, uh, that is great. That is fine. But I, I would advise them, you know, forget the trappings of the names, and so ask yourself if the information works for you in a positive way. So what I'm hearing uh, is that 
Rex's hard-nosed approach to parapsychology influenced you to step back and reevaluate your work as a child. Oh, sure, yeah. His, his objectivity uh, taught me a lot to, about being, uh, not, not, not only just stepping back, but being objective and uh, uh, trying to analyze and uh, not accept everything at face value. Now, I never accept everything. I still had a side of Rex in me, but I do think that his, that his conversations with him and so on and so forth were very helpful to me and eventually causing me to pull out of this more subjective side of using my unconscious. And, uh, of course, I still feel I'm using my, my unconscious and conscious in finding dinosaur tracks and being at the right time in the right place, not as a telepathic message, but just intuitively, PMIR, if you will, uh, uh, being there with the camera at the right place, the right time. And uh, anybody who sees my collection and the number of films I've gotten, and with people, most of them have a lot of witnesses uh, and good witnesses, intelligent, objective witnesses. Uh, I, I really think that, uh, that my approach to it was helped by my inner relationship with Rex and the objectivity which he had to approach the subject because of the extremely controversial nature of parapsychology, particularly in the early days when he was, you know, a pioneer in that. And I, I consider he was a pioneer. Ryan was the pioneer. But Rex, certainly with the PMI idea, I mean, he put things into words in that respect that uh, nobody had really put, at least in that that clear words and, and shown how it may operate in a real life. Now, at one point, you gave up doing your readings and and, yes. and channelings. Was Rex an influence in that decision? Uh, I don't think so. Well, I mean, he might have said, "Yeah, you know, Ray, I think it'd be a good idea." But don't. But I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I ever asked him. Should I? I mean, he 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 might have said, you know, uh, he might have said something, but I don't think he ever tried to push me or overly uh, encourage me one way or another. He he would you know he would drop. And, and say things, but uh, we didn't. And, and they were, even had he done so, I don't think we would have had a controversial relationship. And it, you know, I Rex is against my reading and so on and so forth at all. I would, I would taken it. Well, this is this is the other side of my brain talking at me. Well, I'm gather that you and Rex had a close, personal, loving relationship as identical twins throughout. Uh, your lives together. Well, indeed we did. And that's the thing. How it was, it's really been tough on me when Rex died, in my opinion, at the, of, 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 of medical malpractice in the hospital after he had broken his leg. Uh, the, uh, it, it, it just, uh, uh, for example, every time over the years, for decades, I would find something interesting, think something interesting, discover something interesting. I would pick up the phone and call Rex. And today, today, I cry as I think about it. Something happens that is wonderful and I want to share it. I think, oh my God, I've got to call Rex. And then I realize there's no Rex to call. And that really gets to me. It, uh, I've no longer got that, uh, that other side of my head to talk to, so to speak. I mean, I consider us in a way one. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't know spiritually where Rex is or what, how he identifies himself. I believe there's spiritual survival. I, in fact, believe in reincarnation. But, um, uh, you know, I don't have any, no, the way, I don't claim to have any intellectual contact with him since his passing on. 
but uh, uh, it it really bothers me to not have my twin brother to call and say, Rex, listen to this, listen to what I'm doing, listen to what's happening, L- let me tell you about the UFO experience we had the night, the amazing film we got, and uh, it's just not there. It, telling somebody else is not like telling your twin brother. Maybe a good note to close on. You told me, explained to me earlier that your names, Rex and Ray, actually both mean the same. Yeah, that's interesting. You see, my brother Rex was named after my father Rex. And so they wanted a name that sounded good with Rex and they chose Ray. But I'm confident that neither my mother or my father uh, knew that that Ray is is, is simply the... Uh, the uh, uh, the Latinized form of king and Rex is uh, the Greek uh, king and uh, uh, because I mean bless their hearts they were wonderful people and my mother had read a lot and was uh, remarkably like considering the fact that both of them only had school to the eighth grade that's as far as their school went back in those days a little town where they were was the eighth grade so both of them only had an eighth grade education. And uh, that that makes it even more interesting that Rex and I have done the things we've done in science, uh, but uh, uh, but they had a good spirited spirit relationship uh, of uh, their their attitudes and talking to us about even controversial things. I mean, there was there was no you're going to hell if you believe this or you resist that. It wasn't that. Uh, I, I, I they they I think they had a very sophisticated genes. I don't know. I wonder where my father got his middle name Arlington. And uh, and uh, uh, yeah, weird to be named after a cemetery. <laughs> well, I don't think he was. I don't know where they where they got that name for him. But but in, anyway, uh, it, 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 it to me it's, it's amazing. And yet I, I attributed my parents their good attitude that helped us get and achieve the things that we have achieved. And you know, it dawned on me since you talked about you didn't know where the money came as a teenager when you built those rockets right. or when you traveled to Peru. I have to imagine that your parents went through some personal sacrifices to see that you got that money. You know, the trades made it. I don't think that my parents were able financially to to give a cent to that. They were too poor. Uh, my uh, when I went to Peru, my father. May have still been. He had just. He had been in the 1940s. He was a barber, and apparently, in in barbing somebody that had tuberculosis, I guess when somebody coughed or something, he got tuberculosis. And so, when I was before I was nine years old, he was committed to the tuberculosis sanitarium in San Angelo, Texas, and uh, he went to surgery. They had to to uh, to put I forget what it called, uh, do something to his lungs and. Uh, uh, pitifully, they left a sp- they forgot and left a sponge in his thorax after the surgery, and it years later it cropped up in 1954, I think, and and it also caused somehow t- tuberculosis flared up, and uh, and so he had to quit his job that he had and uh, and and go, uh, and and, and uh, being again in the tuberculosis, and we were so poor. My mother took a job just. Working at a, a, a basically a laundry, a place where they repaired clothing that they rented out, and so on and so forth. And you can imagine how little they got paid. I think my two older brothers at that time may have helped them some, uh, certainly to the extent that they they could. But so I know the money didn't come from them. Uh, encouragement uh, certainly could have come from them, but uh, I can't. I, I really 
I got, of course, I had had a job in my teens, different jobs at different times. One time I worked for Common Products for Finding Company, where my older brother, who had a long time had a job there, helped me get a job there. So I, I had some money, but I'm not sure that I, uh, that if I got help, uh, who who I got it from, and especially the money to go to Peru. I mean, I know to come home, my grandmother, bless her heart, uh, rescued us from Peru. But uh, anyway, I know I had some wonderful parents and wonderful grandmother and, and relatives, and that helps. It shows that uh, a PhD behind your name isn't isn't everything in a parent or in a, in a child. If 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 they if they have faith in their ability to do something, and my 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 mother's attitude definitely gave us faith in our own ability to to think and to analyze and to try to. Uh, uh, do something meaningful in life, uh, no matter how poor they were financially. They were rich in spirit, and that meant a tremendous amount to me. They were so wonderful. Imagine the hardship of all the tuberculosis and the financial hardships, and and there yet they 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 kept up such a positive attitude with us, and helping us, and even encouraged when Rex got to college to in, in, encourage him that they didn't have the money. But I, I remember, I don't know if Rex had a job. I don't remember how he financed his way through. Maybe he got a scholarship. Maybe he got a scholarship. Because um, I, I just don't remember. If Rex were here, he could probably answer that better than I do. Well, I, I do know you showed me that uh, in his freshman year in college, he received some awards. And, and I recall in the description of the award, he got it mentioned that he and his twin brother were doing UFO research. Really? Yes. Well, that's interesting. Uh, that's nice me. that he dared mention that. You showed me the newspaper yeah. article. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, we saw that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ray, this has been a um, very heartfelt conversation about somebody who is as close to you as your own DNA. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, right. I really, I really, I mean, uh, I think a part of me that the physical plane is missing. I mean, Rex and I were, as far as I'm concerned, in some ways, two halves of one thing. Yeah. And uh, if there is if there is an awareness of my life from the spiritual plane, I'm sure he's watching. And at times I kind of feel closer to him. But it still affects me. I mean, it's hard. Uh, I didn't I didn't cry that much when he died because I can feel it coming on. But now that I think about it, and uh, how much we meant to each other, and to talk to each other, just to call each other and and talk about things, even when they were controversial things that maybe neither one of us even agreed about, it was important to have somebody of that kind of mind near enough to my mind that he can understand my reactions. And anyway, it was it's been a blessing to be a twin. Ray, thank you so much for sharing with me and with the viewers of New Thinking Aloud, and I'm sure with many people in the parapsychology community who all hold Rex in high respect, uh, it's a gift to them. Yes, yes, it, it is. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that Rex was among us. He, he has contributed. People need to look again over his work and consider and see how it fits even into their own personal life as far as the PMIR a lot of people are using PMR without even knowing what they're doing, but it helps to know at times. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. You're so welcome.